Welcome to Nourish and Shine, where I talk with passionate leaders in the fields of nutrition, functional and integrative medicine, and wellness, providing inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and live a whole vibrant life starting now. Welcome, Bill Manahan. He is an MD, an assistant professor emeritus of family medicine and community health at the University of Minnesota Academic Medical Center in Minneapolis. He served on the board of directors of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine, as well as the board of directors for the Northwestern Academy of Homeopathy. He's past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, now known as the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. He was the founding program director for Minnesota's first rural family medicine residency program. He is currently the co-chair for the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group. Presently, he's working to help transform primary healthcare into a more holistic, heart-centered, and joyful experience for patients and practitioners. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Amy. I'm so honored to talk with you and just grateful for this time and this experience. I would love to learn more about what made you interested in integrative medicine. I think there's, uh, there was, a woman did a study on this one time and uh, she found that there were three paths that people, that physicians became interested in holistic and integrative medicine. And one path was that they had a patient who they had been treating do something outside the box and the patient got better. And that stimulated them to learn more about it. The second was having a personal experience with a family member or oneself where they saw, did some treatment or something that was not traditional medical treatment and then they got better. And, so that stimulated. The third thing that she found was that some uh, physicians, that's who they were naturally. And that was the box that I fit in. I had certainly had those first two experiences happen, but the main thing I realized uh, when, when that study came out, I went back to, I remember in our third year of medical school, had a talk by a physician at the University of Minnesota who was a psychiatrist and an internist, internal medicine doctor. And he was talking about the psychosocial aspects of certain problems that could happen. And getting out, I was walking with my two best friends and they said, well, that was a stupid lecture. And, uh, and I remember saying, that's one of the best lectures we've ever had. And they said, what do you mean? That the brain causes us to have physical illness? And I said, yeah. And they said, no, nah, that just, you know, that didn't make any sense. And I said, well, you guys were athletes. Did, did you ever get a sweaty under your armpit uh, or an upset stomach or heart palpitation before a big meal? They go, yeah. And I said, well, what if you had that stress all the time? And then that would affect all your, no, they would, they said, oh, that's different. That's different. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that ain't different. No. And so that's why I would very easily, the researcher put me in the box of that. That's, I just, by my nature, was a holistic thinker and Part of that was I majored in English. And so, you know, I, that was uh, a much broader pro prospect or a much bigger look at who we are. Interesting. And bringing up that you majored in English, what made you want to do that initially? Well, initially, my first two years of college, I was going to be a high school teacher and a coach. Mm -hmm. And then college athletics was not as much fun. And modestly speaking, I wasn't as good <laughs> as I was. Uh, 
But uh, so I decided to shift majors. And so I saw a uh, guidance counselor, occupational counselor at the college, and he gave me a test and I came back and we went over the test. And uh, number one was a rancher. Number three was a farmer. And number eight was a physician. Those are the only three I remember. And so I said, I looked at it and I said, I think I'll be a physician. He said, well, why are you, that's number eight. Why are you doing that? And I said, I don't know. I, he said, well, did you have in your family or anything? Have you ever thought about it? He said, no, I've never thought about it. Don't know anyone in my family who's a doctor. He said, why are you picking that? I said, I don't know. I just looked at it. It seemed like a good thing to do. <laughs> so that's how I... I started my junior year, I then went in into that. And I, so I asked one of the counselors, I said, well, what do I have to major in to going to pre-med? He said, well, now just in the last two years, you can major in anything. You have to take pre-med courses of physics, biology, chemistry, but you can major in anything. I said, really? I said, and he said, what do you like to do? I said, I like to read. And he said, why don't you major in English? I said, I can major in English and go to med school. He said, yeah, it just, that was a relatively new rule back in the 60s that you had. Oh, cool. And uh, so I majored in English. And, That's uh, awesome. So it was. It was really fun. It, uh, and I think it was really good because it always helped me have a much broader picture of looking at things. Oh, yeah. And one of the neat things I just learned about you is what an avid reader you are. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about how much reading and do you want to share with our listeners kind of how many books you read on average? <laughs> <laughs> I was so impressed by this. So, Well, uh, I don't know. Before I retired, I didn't read as much because I was just too busy. When I was at your stage of life, yeah. you just don't have time to do that reading. But now that I'm retired, I probably read uh, 80 to 90 books a year. <laughs> That's just so amazing and inspirational. That's what I want to be. <laughs> That is so neat. Back on to the integrative medicine path. I know you opened your clinic in a rural area. And why did you choose a rural area? And did you find any struggles with that, with integrative medicine? I grew up in a town of 2000 in southern Minnesota. And so then part of moving back was moving back where family was and small town. And so I moved into a town which didn't seem to us like a small town because it was 40,000. And, um, and so coming from a town of 2,000, 40,000 didn't seem very rural. Yeah. Although now, certainly Mankato, Minnesota would be considered rural Minnesota. But at the time, it, you know, seemed like, a, like Rochester, St. Cloud, Duluth, Mankato. They're sort of the four big towns of rural Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, uh, so actually we moved back there because of the school system. We had four boys and... Uh, uh, I we were living in Oklahoma City at the time, and everybody of our friends were sending their kids to private schools, and we were against private schools. And so uh, we went into the Mankato school system, and it seemed good going back home. So, it, yeah, it didn't feel like rural rural America very much, but it wouldn't it didn't occur to us that it was rural or not rural. Okay. You know, it, uh, it wasn't as big a thing then as it is now. Yeah. And so going into practice, were you always integrative or would you say you were always integrative, like from the time of med school or did you find it was kind of a transition over time? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, and I, I, I always, I have a little reverberation when you say integrative because for me, the word is holistic, holistic and, yes. and I still struggle with the word integrative integrate what am I integrating what you know what uh, and holistic comes from the Latin word of health holy and whole 
And so it's just such a perfect word for a kind of medicine or kind of healthcare that's holy, healthy, and whole. You know, so I, but, uh, so I think, uh, I think because of my English nature background, because of who I am, I probably was my heart more holistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so therefore, and I had a very holistic wife who was a mental health nurse practitioner. And both of us very early on found out about the American Holistic Medical Association, which at that point was in La Crosse, Wisconsin, because it was started by Norm Shealy and a couple others. And Norm Shealy was a neurosurgeon in La Crosse. Well, La Crosse was three hours from our home. And so the second year, we didn't hear about it the first year, but the second year in uh, 1979, we went, drove over and went to the holistic meeting. And so then I knew I was holistic because <laughs> suddenly it was like around all these physicians who thought like I did. Yeah, just, uh, I just, just who I am. And I just, yeah. uh, I, just, I just always was more interested in the bigger picture of why, why is your body and its wisdom having this problem? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so that I'm always amazed that, and that's what slow medicine, the book is about. Yeah, let's it's, talk about it's that. It's going upstream to say, what is your body and its wisdom doing this? So when I would sit down with a patient, Amy, and not just when they had a cold or a cough, but when they had headaches or backaches or, or eight months of cough or, you know, more a chronic problem, I would say, well, let's go back and figure out what your body and its wisdom is trying to tell you. And they'd go, what do you mean? And they'd say, well, if you put your finger on a stove, your body and its wisdom are going to quickly pull it off and you won't burn it. And that and I find a vast majority of illnesses that your body and your wisdom trying to tell you something. For instance, if you get too tired or too run down or aren't going to bed early, you end up probably with a cold or a cough or something. Mm-hmm. And all of us know that. And if you eat a whole bunch of sugar every day for a lot of times, you may get a cold or a cough because your immune system is being depleted. They're just ways that our body has of treating us. So my job with you is to figure out not how to get rid of it, to say, what what's your body trying to tell you and isn't that neat and that's basically the basis of slow medicine it's the basis of functional medicine it's why i remember i've got a good story when i i got so excited about functional medicine because basically functional medicine is looking at lifestyle looking at environment looking at genetics and that's how we function Mm -hmm. that's all it is that's going upstream to say well what's your lifestyle what's your stress and your food and your and your, um, and your exercise and your environment. And, and then the environment is, are you in a moldy house or all this? And then your genetics, you add to that. And that's the body and its wisdom is often telling you something. You know, and, and, uh, and that's uh, when Victoria Reed Sweet wrote Slow Medicine. That's basically, she delineates fast medicine is what we do so well in Western medicine. It's in the hospital, it's in the ER. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your lifestyle is. You have a broken bone or a heart attack or a cardiovascular, you know, something's going on. It doesn't matter all that other stuff. We're here to just save your life in a sense. Yeah. And that's what we do so well in allopathic Western medicine. What we do so poorly is, is look at a problem and, and say, oh, you have asthma. But if I have five 18-year-olds with asthma, I probably should use five, five different treatments because one of them is living in a moldy house. One of them has trouble expanding their chest because they're in a household that keeps them from expressing themselves. So they walk around like this and they need osteopathic or chiropractic work. Another one may, maybe does need a bronchodilator or something, 
But, you know, it, and it's pretty much that with most chronic illness. And almost unfortunately, hypertension and type 2 diabetes, it actually works sometimes. You know, with a pharmaceutical approach to those two problems, we can, we can lower blood pressure and we can lower A1C. But it gives us the idea that everything should be treated that way. And most things are much more complicated. And in fact, even with hypertension and type 2 diabetes, they probably 90% of the time should not be treated pharmaceutically. I agree. You know, there's how many studies are there that show if we change lifestyle and environment, we can pretty much dramatically affect those things. And there, both those things are in general, our body and its wisdom trying to tell us something. Mm -hmm. Those red flags. Oh, your blood sugar (laughs) is going up. Well, I wonder if your lifestyle is not good or you don't like your job or you're eating the wrong food or, you know, and, and so, but we found pharmaceutical treatments and consequently we put that in. And I think so often we forget it's not the cure because when you stop taking it, the problem comes back. Right. If nothing else has changed. Yeah. So someday, and that's slow medicine. Slow medicine is basically just going upstream and Mm -hmm. saying what our lifestyle environmental type, and that's what functional medicine. I remember the first time I heard Mark Hyman talking way back when he was still, nobody knew him. And because I went up after and said, you're really good. (laughs) (laughs) And, And basically what he said was, it's real simple. It's just what's what what are you putting in your body that's not good for it? And what aren't you putting in your body that you should be putting that's good for it? It's just yeah. what, you know, in and out. And I, he said, that's pretty much functional medicine. And I went, Oh, oh, it was so great. It's just because <laughs> I'm really simple and I like simple stuff. And oh yeah. And the, that was simple. When were you first introduced to functional medicine? Well, Probably, you know, it had a Jeff Bland before he started functional medicine had preventive. I can't remember the name he used, but he yeah. was talking about this way back in the early 80s. Okay. You know, and uh, and then it wasn't until Mark Hyman came along and could translate for Jeff into, <laughs> into better words. Jeff yeah. was too heady. Yeah. And he wasn't clinical enough. Jeff's a nutritional biochemist. He's not a MD. He's not a physician. Yeah. And so he was never quite able to translate it in. So, but yeah, I was one of Jeff's early devotees way back in the early eighties and it wasn't functional medicine then. Yeah. But I can remember some of us saying, Oh, within a few years, everyone will be doing this because it just makes sense. Well, we're 30 years later and we're barely (laughs) 40 years later. I don't know how many years later, but we're barely doing it. So I just saw they hit a thousand certified practitioners like last week. So in the oh, world. Really? Yeah. Well, because, a thousand. That's, yeah, it's nothing. Drop in the bucket. I'm really impressed with Minnesota. If you have, we have like right now 80 or 100 uh, functional medicine practitioners and about 30 or 40 of them are certified. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, so it's pretty exciting. We have a really thriving community here. Yeah. Anyway, I'll tell you a good story about that. I was telling Jennifer Blair, my acupuncture friend, about how excited was a few years ago, how excited I was about functional medicine. She listened for a few minutes and said, Bill, it's what I've been telling you for 40 years. It's what the Chinese have been saying for 2,000 years. Go upstream, figure out what's causing this problem in your life, and then you know, then you can take care of it. I go, oh, okay, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and I, then I had to think of what can I say to get some semblance of respect back here. And I said, yeah, but this is, this is like Western terms. <laughs> this is in Western terms. I said, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, so, yeah. but she was right. You know, I think Ayurveda and Chinese medicine have been sort of saying that forever. Right. Of, uh, measure the pulse, measure the dosha, measure the 
tongue, check the things out. What's what what's behind all this, and then treat it appropriately. Yeah, Isn't which it? goes back to your body and its infinite wisdom. Yeah, right. So, and the signs we get. Yeah, I'm listening to that. That's. I think there's so much to glean from just that whole way of looking at health and yeah. treating patients. And yeah. Kind of being able to listen to your own body too. You don't always need someone to tell you, you know, what right. it's telling you. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. If we learn to listen to our own body, we think, oh, no wonder I'm you know, can't sleep now or no wonder I got a cold or, you know, I because we often come up in our life with, well, what's probably affecting me? What's my body trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I know you really enjoyed being a teacher in the past. Well, let's see, teaching. I, uh, of course, the one teaching you do is basically as a physician, I think, in primary care and family medicine, that's what we did was teach our patients. You know, it's helping them figure out and one of the best ways I taught with people with chronic problems was I would sit down, take an hour-long history, physical, go over the treatment. And then I would say, this is like a puzzle. And you're going to have some piece of the puzzle, and I'm going to have some piece of the puzzle. And if we're lucky, you know, we'll fill up the piece of the puzzle. We'll fill the puzzle, and we'll, you'll, problems will be gone. But if we're not lucky, there will be pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And then so if in three months or so, you're not doing quite a bit better, remind me. Because then I might, we might want to have you see someone doing chiropractic or someone doing homeopathy or someone doing herbalism or see a psychologist. Or there may be other pieces of the puzzle that other pieces of people could fill in because I only have, you know, my tool chest is only so many tools. Yeah. And your ability to remember things is only so many. But I'm, I'm here with you to stick this out until we find an answer. And oftentimes I would find that would be pretty healing just to have someone at a position of power and authority, sort of saying, I'm here with you to stay with you on this. And if we don't have the yeah. answer, we'll find something else. And so as far as being a teacher, so well, a teacher, you started so, working with students. So one was teaching the patient, yeah, and that's that story. And then two was, uh, I was part of the uh, clinical faculty at Mayo Clinic all those years when I was in Mankato. So I had, I think, over those 25 years or more, uh, probably about 80 students. So I would have maybe three students a year. And they they would, the second year students would stay about a week. The fourth year students would stay maybe two to four weeks. And then the residents, family medicine residents would stay maybe a month too. And they would often live with us in our house. So that was fun. And, oh, yeah. And I just, it's, I, I would much rather one-on-one -on -one be teaching a student than giving a lecture at a classroom. Because mm -hmm. I would, they would just be in my practice and they would see my patients and then the younger students, I would walk in with them afterwards. They would present to the patient. And then I knew most of my patients, so some, they would like that. You know, they liked having a male student there. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was fun. It was fun teaching. Oh, neat. But when I teach medical students now, it's a, uh, a one-month elective for fourth-year medical students that we started okay. in 2001 out in California in the Redwood Forest. And they go, it's called, it's a Ben Loman Quaker Center. And we rent it for a month and then 25 students from around the country, fourth year students go there. And it's called Heart I Am, Humanistic Elective in Activism and Reflective Transformation and Integrative Medicine. Oh my God. H-E-A-R-T dash I am. And so we teach, teach them activism, a social consciousness. We teach them self-reflection. What's it like after four years of medical school? How have I changed? Have I lost my heart? Am I all heady now? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle residency? 
And then we teach them integrative medicine. We have a day of Ayurveda, a day of Chinese medicine, a day of osteopathy, you know, a lot of different things. Wow. So that's been a, so in, uh, let's see, 19 years times uh, 25, we've trained about 500. I always tell them, you're the leaders. You're going to change medicine. You're the 25 students are going to make a change. So we, yeah, that's, that's my favorite teaching. And this year I just retired from it. I decided to turn it over to somebody else. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. It's my favorite month of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And what a lucky 25 students to be able to come and do that. And that's a lot to learn in a month. Well, it is. Yeah. It's a big, yeah. We have a heart alumni now that they connect with each other. Not some from their group. They often remain friends. Okay. So, yeah. Are they carrying on the program now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I turn it over to someone else and it's it's going to carry on. Oh, wow. What was your favorite part of the program? Just working with the students. They're just, you know, they were, they're exceptional students who sort of decide to come there anyway. Yeah. And so that was fun. And then bringing in the different faculty. We, we got Rachel Naomi Remen okay. from uh, the Bay Area. Do you know her? No. Okay. She's a, psych, she's a doctor who's written a lot about her own Crohn's disease. Okay. And uh, so she comes down from the Bay Area to talk. And we get different people flying in. To Wayne Jonas, who is the director of alternative medicine, uh, he would always come in. He would lecture in the day, and then at night, he's also a shaman, so he would take the students on a shamanic journey. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it was. It, it's a great month for the students. Oh, and the students who did this, do most of them end up then in some sort of holistic medicine? or? I think all of them uh, definitely expand their view, and then, it, you know, they range it from pediatrics to obstetrics to surgery to family medicine to all the psychiatry. And so depending on the student, they, they vary how much later on they incorporate it in. So it varies. That's amazing. Yeah. What a cool experience. That, that's, that's my favorite teaching. Yeah. And did you start that program? Three of us started it. Okay. Yeah, three of us. Uh, what we were doing, uh, Amy, was going around. Uh, we would uh, do a... Thursday night, leave our practice, fly someplace with three others. It was out of the American Medical Student Association called AMSA, okay. American Medical Student Association, not the AMA, American Medical Society. This was a student association. And so in fourth year of medical school, students have the, uh, it's a lot of electives. And so like they might take a, uh, a month abroad. They might take a month in a, uh, a poverty clinic. They might take a month with a dermatologist. It's a fourth year medical school is really sort of an easy year. And so that's uh, how we picked this month, this fourth year to do it. But we were going around uh, two, three times a year to different medical schools. We would fly in Thursday night and then Friday and Saturday, we would do a two-day conference with the medical students uh, on holistic medicine. And and about after the third one, we were talking afterwards. It was Sunday and we were getting to go back to our towns and and we all said, this is so much fun. There were about four of us doing it. It's so much fun. Why don't we do it for a whole month? And so that's how Heart I Am started. It, it just came from that little thing we were program we were doing with AMSAT weekends to become a month-long thing. Oh, cool. So That is really neat. Yeah, that was good. It's been a really great program. Yeah. Well, you brought up shamanism. And I know um, you have interest in energy medicine as well. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you became interested in 
energy medicine and why you think it's important in healthcare? One of my early uh, interests for my first uh, 15 years was nutrition. Because of nutrition, things that happened. And then in the 80s, I developed Meniere's disease, which is a disease of the inner ear where you get vertigo and nystagmus. And I also got systemic symptoms with it of vomiting and diarrhea. And it was so severe that, and it happened every five days, but like the fluid would build up in my inner ear. And I was on diuretics and not eating salt and doing everything medical science could do at that point for many years. It was really not much treatment. And uh, the year before, we had had a physician in Mankato retire on permanent disability at age 48 because of Meniere's disease. And I was having these attacks every five days where if it was at the office, I had to go home. Someone had to drive me home. It would actually just wipe me out. I would, I would just sort of pass out. And, uh, and then I'm fine for four and a half days. And then on the fifth day, it just starts like the fluid starts building up. And I would start getting, my eyes would go back and forth. I'd get this huge ringing in my ears, tinnitus. And I would start vomiting and diarrhea, real GI upset. And so it was huge. And I'm wondering, do I have to retire? I'm only, you know, 48 or, uh, you know, some, I was, I was relatively young, yeah. 50. Uh, and um, about that time, my wife, Diane, asked if I wanted to go up to hear a, uh, someone talk on energy medicine in Minneapolis. And I said, what's energy medicine? <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, I don't know very much about it, but let's go up and hear him. I, I, you know, she was interested. And so I went up with her and I really, he was a Friday night, Saturday. And Friday night, I really, we liked him. He was good. Just, and, uh, and then he said, Saturday morning from seven to nine, before I start at nine, I'm going to do uh, 20 minute consults with as many people as we can fit in. And it'll be $25 or something. It was so moment. So I said, you know, let's do that. And so the next morning I get there at seven and whenever he saw him at 7.30. And he said, he would just sit and hold your hands. And he he sees colors. And so every human, he says, has five colors. That He's got 48 colors, but everyone has five colors. And depending on the color you are, that's who you are. Well, now this is someone coming in from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who had no way to know me. And so he holds my hands. And in a minute, he says, okay, you're these five colors. And what that means is that you're probably having health problems. You're, uh, uh, you're in a healing profession. You're, um, uh, you're, you're using way too much of your earth element. You're very compulsive and you're overworking. You're not giving your space and water element enough space. And so that's causing problems. Uh, and one other thing. And I looked at the hand, I said, did you talk to him? <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, I've never met him. It was like, you know, she had never met I said, oh well, you sort of nailed me. I am having health problems. I have many years disease. And he said, what don't you want to hear? Because I was losing my hearing. And I said, nothing. There's nothing I don't want to hear. And Diane looked at me and said, Bill, I've heard you say 10 times in the last six months, I don't ever want to hear another physician make fun of holistic medicine. And Jamie, the guy, looked at me and said, watch out what you ask for. I don't, I don't ever want to hear another physician. And I was losing my hearing. And, and so he said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make these sounds because you have the black energy of that. And it's cut, cut, cut. I can't remember what the sounds were, but yeah. twice a day, morning and night. I want you to say, I want you to eat these certain space foods. You need to open up. You're, you're way too constricted in your earth element. 
you're really compulsive, right? I said, yeah, I'm really compulsive. <laughs> you're always on time with your part, with your patients. Yes, I'm always on time. <laughs> he just nailed me. And, and so then uh, he said, and I eat these space foods, which in Chinese terms are certain uh, blue-green algae, seaweed, almonds. There were certain foods. And then he said, I want you to say uh, three times at night when you're going to bed, I am peaceful and respectful of my physician colleagues, and I love them. And I said, I can't do that. He said, why? I said, I don't love them. I'm really upset with them. He said, would you be willing just to pretend? Know you're lying, but say it. I said, yeah, if I can, I can pretend, but I know I'm lying. He said, okay. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. We drive home from Minneapolis. And uh, we stopped at the St. Peter Co-op and bought blue-green algae, which I'd never even heard of at that time. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, we'd been part of a macrobiotic group three years earlier, and I was the only one in the group who liked seaweed. And that was one of the foods he thought I should be eating. Have you ever had seaweed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the other five people in the group, uh, macrobiotics is a lot of seaweed. Yeah. And I love the seaweed. And they, you know, and never knew why. But that seaweed was one of the things that it would open me up. It was a food I needed. Blue-green algae, almonds, a couple other foods. So we got home, and uh, I every night I started doing, saying I'm peaceful and respectful of my physician colleagues, and I love them. And um, and anyway, so it was about three days later that I was due for another attack. I did. I had my another attack. It was only about 50%. It wasn't. I didn't get nearly as sick, and that was it. I never had another attack. I was cured. Oh my goodness. I was left with some decreased hearing and chronic ringing in my ears, tinnitus. Mm -hmm. But I never had another attack and I was fine. That's amazing. So I got hold of Jamie and I said, is this Jamie or Jesus? <laughs> and he laughed and then he said, you're doing better? And I said, no, I'm not doing better. I'm healed. It was like, this is crazy. I've seen the Mayo Clinic ENT doctors. I've seen the neurologists. I've seen the best doctors in Southern Minnesota. I was, you know, and in yeah. one little stupid thing you have me say, <laughs> I got it was. So it's a long story, but it's how I suddenly said, I've been interested in nutrition, but this makes nutrition look pretty pathetic. Wow. I'm, I'm going to study energy medicine and healing. Oh so, my gosh. So where did you go from there with sitting energy? I just started, I, I started taking Qigong lessons. I took Reiki lessons. I, I'm level, I never go to clear level four or five, yeah. but I did level one, two or three in everything. Oh, cool. I just, yeah, I, I'm a healing, I'm a level two healing patch, Reiki, Qigong, uh, emotional <laughs> freedom technique. I, you know, it was like, I had to learn this stuff. I didn't want to, you know, I just, I didn't want to take the time and energy to become expert. Right. But I wanted to suddenly open up my my vista. And so that's when I started just suddenly looking, doing all that stuff and training. And oh, cool. So I, I sort of switched from loving nutrition uh, to loving all the energy stuff. Oh, and my gosh. It came through my Meniere's disease. And I've continued to, uh, to be friends with Jamie. He, he left Ann Arbor and he moved to the D.C. area. And uh, so I referred probably 20 people to him. But the problem is he has to do the sit down to read your energy. You can't do it on Google Hangout or, um, or Skype or uh, what's the one we just use? You always the use? Zoom. On Zoom. Yeah. On Zoom. Yeah. And so he's trying, to, he's trying to do that now. He's trying to learn how to do it so people don't have to either. But of the people I talked to, uh, I probably talked to 50 people, probably 20 of them flew to Virginia and had him read their colors. And I would say of the 20 people, I would say seven of them had a miraculous recovery like I did. 
I would say seven got help, but then and seven didn't help a bit. Yeah. And and I thought that's pretty much my percentage of my patients too. <laughs> you know, it was it's like we just don't help everybody. Yeah. And and when I talked to him about it, he says, I don't know. Some people are really complicated. You just happen to have you were so clear when I read your colors. You were so angry at your physician colleagues. And, and, and it just was like, you know, it was like all he has to do is say even. And I said, but it was make believe. I wasn't happy. I wasn't going to change. He said, doesn't matter. Just even the act of saying I'm peaceful and respect with my physician colleagues and I love them is enough to unblock your energy. Oh my God. And I guess that's just crazy. I still, you know, 20 years later, I still don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool lesson, though. I think that's amazing. So, yeah, I was holding so much anger at my colleagues. And not because they didn't change or something, but because they were hurting people. Yeah. By not, by not just doing a little food. All these kids having tubes put in their ears because they wouldn't do a food history. Right. Or they don't, they refuse to learn it. And, you know, and so I, it's still, I still sort of have to really just, okay, it's okay. We're all at different places. Yeah. So I really worked on just being more accepting, more compassionate. And, That's and, right. You know, so it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so no, so the energy stuff was huge for me. And it's been, Mehmet Oz, 20 years ago, before he was very famous, said, the, the future of medicine is energy medicine. Did you know that Mehmet Oz was the first person in America to bring a Reiki practitioner into his cardiovascular surgery, open heart surgery in New York? No. Yeah, that's why Mehmet Oz became famous. Oh it's because his wife did, did uh, learned Reiki and said, you ought to be doing this. And he was one of the famous cardiovascular surgeons in New York. Yeah. And she said, you ought, to, you ought to do Reiki on your patients. He said, why? I said, because you'd have better results. And so he found a Reiki practitioner, not his spouse. And brought her in, and they ended up writing a book together because the patients did so well. And he became famous because he was he, his heart patients did so well. So Oprah gets him, and he gets on Oprah, and then he becomes Dr. Oz. Yeah. And then he like happens to people when they get uh, the pressures of everything. He started doing some stupid things like selling weight loss pills and doing other things. Yeah. But Mehmet Oz is one of my heroes. You know, oh my I mean, because he, he started with energy. Medicine. He started with energy medicine, and that's how he rose to fame. And he was a just hardcore cardiovascular surgeon. Oh, you know, one of the best. Wow. And I forget the name of the book, but it's a really good book. Something about healing hands, or you know, the woman and he wrote it together. Yeah. And, oh, and so then, anyway, he said, he said, the medicine of the future is energy medicine. And, and I remember sort of as I got into this, I thought, you know, I think he's right as my Meniere's, mm-hmm. if Meniere's can't be cured, it can't be helped. My buddy uh, in Mankato Hospital had to go on permanent retirement at age 50 because of his Meniere's and, and suddenly I'm, I'm basically cured of it. I'm healed. I'm, it, uh, and so I thought, boy, this is better than nutrition. I'm going to, I'm going to learn, <laughs> I'm going to learn energy medicine. So Wow, that's just incredible. And you brought up nutrition and your interest in nutrition. Can you kind of talk to me about how that started and kind of your work with nutrition and kind of what food is medicine yeah. looks like for you? Well, Amy, that's a really, there's two interesting stories there. One is that one of our friends came to see us one night and we were still eating dinner with the four boys and the four of us. 
and uh, Topher, my youngest son, was wheezing. And uh, and she, uh, we were sitting there, and she said, what's wrong? He said, well, I've got asthma. And she said, Susie says, well, of course you got asthma. You all drink so much milk and eat so much cheese. And I looked, and I said, Susie, dairy products do not cause asthma. And so she said, yeah, it does. I said, no, it doesn't. There's no, there's no science on that. <laughs> we didn't use the word evidence-based, right. thing, but there's no. I, she said, I said, oh, sure, I'll bring you a book. So she brings me a book called Don't Drink Your Milk. And who do you think the book is by? It's by the chair of pediatrics at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. It's not by some podunk family doc in Mankato. It's by the chair of family medicine. It's Don't Drink Your Milk. And he's got a whole chapter on dairy frequently causes asthma. And and uh, respiratory stuff and and it's not it's not about the fat it's not about lactose it's about the protein casein and casein sometimes reacts with people and and causes discharge and causes lung problems and uh, and so that started me that was one of the big starts on nutrition because then I got Topher to go off all dairy for two weeks his asthma went away. On day 15, I started him. We, we had a glass of milk and some cheese. The asthma came back that night. And I'm going, whoa, this is, <laughs> this is crazy stuff. <laughs> and then the other experience I had was one of my patients in my first, second, or third year in Mankato came in and said, does uh, sugar and uh, dyes cause uh, what, what was then called hyperactivity? Now it's ADHD or something. And I said, well, I don't think so. I never heard of it. And she pulls out a, a paper uh, written by uh, Feingold. And Feingold turned out to be the person who started uh, uh, in San Francisco, the whole Kaiser Permanente system. And he was a pediatric allergist. So here again, we're not talking little GP down in Mankato, Minnesota. We're talking basically big time. And he's got a book. And the patient gave me the book. And, and I said, well, why did you think of that? I said, well, one of my sons, whenever it's a birthday party, Christmas or anything, he goes berserk for the next week. And I said, well, and what? So he's eating a lot of, yeah, they eat a lot of cake and candy and all that stuff. Christmas time, they're all, and then, and we don't have much of that in our house. And so then a week or two later, he seems like he's better. And so someone said, you ought to read this book by Dr. Feingold. And of course, Feingold, the whole book is about sugar and dyes, food dyes, causing problems. So that was one of my other food things. And along with my milk, I started putting people on elimination diets and all sorts of my patients just had amazing results. Oh my gosh, how cool. So, and so let's go into elimination diet a little bit, because that's something we talked about. It has so many uses, but how did you find it to be, or I guess, how did you introduce patients to it? And how did you get them to buy into doing it? Yeah, well, that's a good question, Amy. And it's amazingly easier than you think. But one reason is because I was a family doc and so all my patients knew me. And so they sort of trusted me. It's not like that. I remember when I've worked in an urgent care and ER done something, it's like, it's really different. They, they don't necessarily trust you and uh, that kind of thing. But when, when you maybe delivered their babies or you as children seen them or that kind of thing. So there's a, a more of a trust, but one of the things I'm saying, the I would often, you know, part of it is being a salesperson. I would say, you've got, I remember one specific one was bedwetting. 
and, and a five-year-old. And they had done the buzzer system. They had done hypnosis. They had done everything. And this kid was five or six, starting kindergarten and still bedwetting. And I was talking to him and saying, you know, you're having three glasses of milk every day. You eat cheese about four times a week. You have ice cream twice a week. Sometimes dairy can cause bedwetting. And would you be willing to stop your dairy for three weeks? And the mother is going, no way. The mother's up here saying, no way, no way. He's not, he won't do it. And he looks at me and says, yes. I said, it, it just doesn't mean the rest of your life you're off, but I know that bedwetting's a problem for you. And I would say there's a 50% chance, about half and half, that if you go off dairy, you're going to stop the bedwetting. And he totally bought into it. He went off and in about eight days, his bedwetting quit. Nice. Totally. He never went back on dairy, that kid. I mean, he hated bedwetting because he couldn't go to friend's house, right. you know, or anything. It just was. And, and that's one of that's kind of experience. It's just, it's like, how do I sell this person? I'm going three weeks on a three week elimination diet. And I would say stuff like, you don't this if it doesn't work, you've just wasted three years of your life without your favorite food of sugar or dairy or coffee or, you know, whatever we're cutting out here. Yeah. But if it works, you're going to get rid of your eczema or you're going to get rid of this or your acne or whatever the problem was. And kids were almost better than adults because kids, <laughs> kids just can't stand having certain problems. Yeah. And, uh, and they had a belief system in me. <laughs> and, and so, but no, I could, most people would do a three week elimination. I'd say it's not the rest of your life. It's just, it's like, you know, like in Lent, don't you give up stuff in Lent? They go, yeah. I said, pretend it's Lent. You know, I just <laughs> That's had, a really good way to say it. I had ways of just saying, you know, just it's it's really interesting. It's a really interesting experiment for three weeks. Just you can do it, no sugar for three weeks. I'm telling you, you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> so, and that's a nice way to look at it. Is it's just an experiment. You yeah, know? it just yeah. And then I would so I would do the three week elimination, and then on day 22, if they didn't know, sometimes they knew. Mm -hmm. You know. I, but if they didn't know, then I would have them really eat a lot of that food on day 22 and then watch for 24 to 48 hours, see what happened. Did your acne come back? Did your bedwetting start again? Did your, but that kid on the bedwetting, you know, he never had another drop of dairy of any kind because yeah. he was so happy to be off. But, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. That was sort of the, uh, so that's why I got interested in nutrition and started talking about it. And, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about holistic versus integrative medicine. I know we talked about that and I love your description of holistic and using that terminology. How have you seen kind of the field of integrative medicine change over the years or holistic medicine and where do you think it's going? Well, I, I think uh, back uh, before the 40s, uh, medicine probably was much more holistic and integrative because we didn't have really great stuff. And in the 40s, penicillin started, insulin started, anesthesia started where, and still in World War I, they were cutting off limbs by drinking a little alcohol or something. Right. And so it's, this is not, it's a pretty recent thing. And, and so it, it's like it went from all spiritual and heart-centered and emotional-centered with, with very little real medicine to this pendulum swung over the other side where we suddenly could really change people's lives. And who does not love Western medicine when you suddenly have a ruptured appendix or you have your cataract removed and, or all the different things we do, and, and it's amazing. But like many movements, the pendulum swung from too much of woo-woo, of, of just all we could do, to sort of, in a sense, uh, 
without much science to that everything became its only science was the only thing that counted. And, uh, and there aren't other things going on here. And we became physical bodies with that. And the emotional, spiritual, and social part of our being sort of was negated. And so uh, those of us, I think, saw in the early day, you know, in the, in the maybe, let's say it started in the 40s. And then that went into the quite heavily in the 60s and 70s. And that's what started the holistic movement. Some of us were saying, this, you know, we're much more than physical bodies. And so let's look at the whole picture. And that's why the word holistic was so good. It's, it's let's look at the not just, and sometimes we look at just the physical body, but other times we wanted to look at the social, emotional, mental, spiritual aspect of that environmental aspect of that person. And so it, I think that's the, that's the core of the movement. And then some people are just earlier adapters and others were not as early adapters. And, you know, it, it almost at this point, I think I mentioned earlier, it would be like being Republican and Democrat. We, we see the world through very different eyes. And uh, I would say the Democrats are the early adapters who see medicine as a much bigger picture. And the doctors who are still want just, you know, sort of allopathic, traditional, conventional medicine, and not the other stuff is all foolish or crazy. I see them as more Republican. And, and they see the world in a little bit tighter boxes and more, more conservative. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, so I, it's changing. And and especially women between the ages of 20 and 50, they got it. And they started just saying, they just said, wait, I want to go upstream and figure out what's maybe causing this rather than take a medicine for the rest of my life. And so that was, they're the ones who I think sort of are leading this movement. And like at our last meeting, we had 180, I think, people there. And I think 140 of them were women. Wow. You know, I mean, it's just, it's like, wait a minute, where are the men? Like, God. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any theories on that? Well, in my practice, I know women almost universally wanted, when I would talk about looking at a broader picture, and they would be excited about it. And I would say half the men would, I would get into my spiel about we're going to look at, and they'd say, Doc, just give me the pill. And I'd go, okay. You know, I fit, they just, and so we're, the men tend to be a little bit less holistic, I think, just by nature. And yeah. I think it may be genetically and by having babies you have to just loosen up, yeah. right? As a new mother <laughs> yeah. with two little kids, you can't be a tight ass. Right. That's and the men true. can be that way. And so that's, we're just a little more linear and rigid and the women become more holistic and suddenly start looking at the bigger picture. So I think there are oh, real differences. That is really cool. <laughs> we started kind of holistic and then there was this complementary and alternative medicine yeah and then now we're more into integrative what are your thoughts on the shift from like the complementary and integrative or complementary and alternative to like an integrative yeah that's a good question it basically started as conventional western medicine and then there was alternative medicine and then alternative seemed like sort of not a good word and so people called it complementary and alternative complement not free complementary but with an e (laughs) in addition to complementary and so complement, and then that became CAM, C-A-M. And so there were two fields, sort of, was CAM and holistic medicine. And But interestingly, it seems strange now, but in the 80s and 70s, holistic was a word that felt woo-woo to people. It just, people, we love the word because yeah. of its root derivative of whole and holy and healthy. And But most people didn't like holistic. It was woo-woo stuff. 
And so CAM became the word, but people didn't like CAM and company alternative medicine. So Andy Weil came up with sort of the word integrative. Let's, what, what's a word that's somewhere in between alternative and holistic? And most of us in the holistic movement knew that in our head it was a, a nice word, but we can't stand it <laughs> because it's replacing holistic. And it's like integrative, integrative what? Integrative what? It just, but Andy and his beautiful holistic picture <laughs> came up with integrative and he had so much power at that time that it pretty much took over and became integrative medicine. Interesting. You know, and yeah, it just is, uh, it's sort of like, I always think of Mark Hyman that way with functional medicine. Jeff Bland was 20 years trying to talk about functional medicine and it just didn't go anyplace. And Mark Hyman within a year or two or three, suddenly everybody knows functional medicine. And Andy and Mark have that incredible ability to communicate that, uh, in fact, both of them, I'll often read their stuff and go, oh, that's what I've been thinking for four years, but I can't say it. I can't, I can't put it together. And then yeah. they put it together for me. Both of them. Both of them are, are sort of like my gurus. Yeah. It, uh, they just can, they say it in so simple, so easy words. And it'll just be like a bunch of thoughts in my head. Yeah. So that, that's sort of the story of integrated, why it's now integrated. That's why I still... Yeah. In fact, Norm Shealy, who started the American Holistic Medical Association, he pretty much dropped out of the organization when it became integrative because <laughs> the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, he said, no, no, you can't. So he dropped out. He, oh he couldn't stand the word integrative. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. And you were in a lot of leadership roles in these different organizations. and. Can you talk a little bit about being a leader in the field and how you became kind of interested in being in those roles? Yeah, I didn't ever uh, have a need to be in that role or think I needed leadership, but I realized that that's, I wish that I had had uh, tutors or mentors early on saying you're a leader. And that's what I've done with my heart group, the group of 25 students out there. Yeah. I go about three times in the time I'm there, I go, you guys are leaders. I want you to know that. And they all go, what do you mean? And then I say, just by coming here, you're, you know more, you're going to know more than any medical student or doctor about holistic and integrative medicine. And, and so therefore you're a leader and you're going to help the movement start forward. Well, no one ever told me that, but I was the quarterback on the football team. I was the point guard on the basketball team. I, you know, so even in high school, I was a leader. And, uh, but I, when I started in the holistic movement, we one of the afternoons we would have a meeting of everybody at the national meeting, and I was right away I, in the first or second year I was there when it asked for input from them. I said, "Why is this just for doctors? Why isn't it for nurses or chiropractors or all kinds of healthcare professionals?" And they said, and then they were arguing about it. And I argued back. I said, it "Doesn't make any sense to me." So it was my second meeting there. And afterwards, Jim Gordon came up. You know that name, Jim Gordon? I do. Yeah. Psychiatrist and has written a lot of books. And he came up and said, Bill, you need to be on the board because I personally agree. Even though none of the rest of the board agrees with you, I personally agree with what you're saying. So he got me on the board. So at a very early stage, I was on the board just for, I didn't want to be on the board. I didn't want to do a thing, but I, but I thought it didn't make any sense to have a, you know, if we're talking holistic medicine, why wouldn't we want the group to have all sorts of practitioners? Oh, cool. <laughs> so, 
So I have you to thank for being able to be part of the organization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it took a long time. So anyway, I got on the board. That was in the, when was it? Gosh. Yeah, in the in the early 80s. And then I got became I became president elect and I became president in 1990 to 92. And so my major issue was going to be to bring all practitioners into the organization. And so the whole first year we met every 3 months the board for 4 days. Yeah. And by the end of that year, I had the board all agreeing to do it. And so I sent out a letter to the membership and uh, asking them to just vote on it. And I told them what they had gone through in the board. The vote was 80% against it. No. Yeah, it was a general forgetting to bring the troops along. <laughs> you know, I brought the other, the top players along. Yeah. But I, I, and I thought it was a sin of hubris. I th- you know, I just thought I could write a letter that would, you know, said the board's decided for you. You know, well, the holistic practitioners aren't going to let anyone tell them anything. They've already gone outside the medical system. And now they're not going to even let their own leader tell them that. So the vote was like 70% voted against it. It was one of my crushing defeats. And that was 92. And what did it take till 2013 or 14? Yeah. Yeah. 92, 100, 200. Took almost 20, over 20 years for the organization to open up to everybody. Someone said, you're sort of ahead of your time. I said, I am so far ahead of my time. In 1982 in Mankato, I started an integrative center in little Mankato. You know, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> and so, uh, but that's the story of sort of finally getting everybody in eventually happened. So in 1982, what made you think, like, I should have an integrative center? Well, there was a former, my, one of my best friends in Mankato was a former Jesuit priest, Chuck Lofi. And he taught uh, psychology at the college at Mankiel State University. And we would talk about, you know, we should be blending psychology of what, of what all the stuff you're teaching and learning with spirituality, because he was a former Jesuit priest, with, with the stuff I do, that like nutrition and, and medical stuff. And so that basically, and even my brother was a lawyer in town. He sort of wanted to think we should have legal stuff, too. And that never quite happened. But Chuck and I just started thinking, let's do it. And uh, so somehow someone said, you know, all the the Catholic girls school on the hill in Mankato is closed and there's an empty building up there. So Chuck and I went, Chuck being a former Jesuit, I think helped. But we went to the nuns and said, you know, we're going to start this wellness called a wellness center in Minnesota. We're going to just have different types of practitioners there. And we're going to, you know, look at the broader picture. Well, they were delighted. They were just they were just great. Because there was a whole building over here. So they just basically, for very low rent, gave us this building. And it had dormitory rooms in it because it was a a place for Catholic girls' school where they stayed. And it had closed. So we would have weekend seminars and people could stay there. And so that was was the Wellness Center of Minnesota. We had Helen Healy came down from um, St. Paul once a week on Tuesday. So every Tuesday noon. And then we had a psychologist and a uh, physical therapist, a physician, a spiritual counselor, a biofeedback therapist, my wife, a mental health nurse practitioner. We had about eight people practicing there. Oh, my gosh. And uh, the physical therapist would do stress tests on people. Uh, you know, but, we had, but every Tuesday noon, we would meet when Helen Healy came down, and we would do about an hour and a half, two hours of case presentations. Oh, I learned so much. Because I'd present a case and thinking I'd done a pretty good job, but the patient wasn't getting better. And then someone would say, well, did you try this? And I'd go, no. And did you try this? And, you know, <laughs> they would have all these ideas. And I realized 
I only know about this much. We're all trained so differently. Yeah. You know, the nutrition person would say, well, did you think of that or that? And all. So it was a huge learning. And, uh, and then, but insurance wouldn't pay us for anybody. They wouldn't pay, only pay me. You know, they would, I'm a, but all the yeah. rest, they wouldn't pay anybody else. And so, and Mankato's rural Minnesota. And they didn't want, you know, nobody wanted to pay for healthcare, even when they got better or something. So then after about six or seven years, I switched it into a uh, clinic for the underserved and uninsured and open and wellness center, Minnesota became open door health center. And now that's the biggest uh, uh, clinic for the underserved and uninsured in Southern Minnesota. sees 10,000 people a year. Oh my gosh. So that was an interesting how we took a holistic clinic and just made it into a clinic for the uninsured. And does it still have a holistic person? Well, right away I realized, you know, I, I like had a nutrition person. It was like, oh God, they just they don't have enough to eat, much right. less worried about nutrition. So I brought in a social worker and that was she was much more important than almost anybody else. Sure. And so we tried doing some stuff, but I realized it was much more at Maslow's hierarchy of basic needs. Mm-hmm. It was just a different population. They sure. were, you know, and so we did much more, I would say, in a holistic social environment rather than a holistic medical environment. Yeah. Oh, but, that's uh, really neat. Yeah, that was. And what made you interested in making it into that type of clinic versus well, that's an interesting story. After Peace Corps, Diane and I decided every seven to 10 years to give a year and donate and go on sabbatical and just donate our time. And so we did that in uh, 88. And then we did it in 93. We did five years there. And it was in, we coming back in 93, I said, you know, why are we going over to Africa and doing this stuff when right in Mankato, there's problems. And, and I said, you know, there's a lot of poor people who just fall in between the crack between medical assistance and insurance. And that, that group of uninsured and underserved. Mm-hmm. And I had written, I wrote a grant and I got like $30,000 on this grant to, to do community health in the town. And so then we, we, uh, in, we, I went to the public health nurses and said, what are the biggest problems here? And I went to the records and I went to ask, I did, we did, uh, what do you call it? When you get people to interview and groups, you know, you bring in groups. And what we came up with, the number one problem in Mankato was drug and alcohol concerns about high school students. And number two was young mothers not having uh, the money to pay for health care for their kids. So that was number one and two. So we took number one and we started meeting and there was the, the mayor of Mankato was really interested in that. So he became, I sort of got him to be chair of that board. And I realized that wasn't my interest. I was much more interested in the second thing of how do we get uh, acute care and vaccinations and everything to young mothers and kids. And so then on Wednesday afternoon was my day off and I I had a podiatrist friend in town and he didn't work Wednesday afternoon. So he said I could use his office. So every Wednesday afternoon, Saturday morning, uh, I hired a nurse, and the nurse and I would start this little clinic for the underserved and uninsured, oh and no rent. We didn't have to pay any rent, and but I had this grant that we had, I could pay the nurse, yeah. and uh, and then we just started opening up, and pretty soon the word got out, and people brought in their kid, women brought in their kids, and it just became a, a child uh, center for that, and then the nurse had such a great idea. She said we should 
we should keep track because we're seeing sick kids too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we and they would they would have gone to the ER and they wouldn't have paid the bill. And so we started keeping track of every person who came in. And at the end of the year, we figured that we had saved the ER because none of the people would have been able to pay the ER. So we brought it to the hospital and we had saved them $80,000, we figured. from We had the list of what they had, they had ear infection, they had this, that. And so we asked the hospital for money and they gave us 20000 That's awesome. Yeah, wasn't that? That was my nurse, totally who thought of that. <laughs> and so then we had... 20,000 to start. And so we moved into a little bigger building and had hired someone and used a little more time. And pretty soon it just grew into open door health center, uh, open five days a week and seeing thousands of patients. So things sometimes just happen without planning. But uh, yeah, the question coming back from our last, the last mission we did was there, why are we not taking care of problems in Mankato? You know, because I've been practicing there long enough to know that there were poor people in Mankato who need help as bad as people in Africa. Yeah. And so that that I said, I'm not going overseas anymore. I'm going to just start something in Mankato. And that's what started sort of open door. Cool. <laughs> that makes me think of the saying, the tend the garden that you can reach. And I think that's just a yeah. great way to be yeah. involved in your community. I like how it just transitioned too and kind of naturally evolved. Yeah, it's I being a minimalist, I do I can start stuff very easy, yeah, cheaply. You know, mm-hmm. I just it's like we don't care, we don't need any money. We'll just get the podiatrist to give us his <laughs> office. When aren't you there, Jim? I'm yeah. not there. I take Wednesday afternoon off. Do you work Saturday? No. Okay, can we use it? He said, Yeah. You know, just clean it up afterwards. We said, Fine, we'll Yeah. <laughs> and so there was no here's my favorite one. When we the, his office got too small and uh the orthopedic clinic had bought hold of the building, but they didn't know what to do with part of the building. My friend was one of, was the orthopedic surgeon. And so they let us use that uh, for a couple of years until they were going to build a new clinic. Yeah. And, uh, or no, they were yeah building a new clinic and moving out of that one. So then he came to me one day and said, we'll give you the whole, our whole building. And I said, why would you do that? The orthopods are not, you know, and he said, because uh, we, we, there's no other use for it. Nobody wants a big old building here. We're building a new building. And, um, and we'll get a tax deduction. I went, oh, so everybody wins. You know, it's yeah. one of the tax laws that, so they gave us the building as a donation on what the building was worth. And so then there were six orthopods. So they each got like, you know, if it's $120,000 building, they just got $20,000 off their taxes. Right. And we got a free building. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so everyone really does win. So that was really a yeah. win-win because suddenly we expanded into this really nice building. And, you know, it just was good. And then I said, but we can't afford to pay the uh, uh, real estate taxes. He said, I've got that covered. What? Down below is the physical therapy office and they pay us rent. And the rent will pay the, all, the, all the taxes and upkeep. So the physical therapy people stayed there and we got their rent. and. So we basically got a free building. That is so cool. (laughs) It was. Well, that's something I admire about you too, is how well you network with everyone and connect people. And I think knowing, you know, collaborating with people in different disciplines and everything, situations like that kind of work out when people know you and kind of respect your work. Oh, that's, yeah. 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 Someone read me astrologically 
And they said, you're really a connector. I go, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty true. <laughs> you can see it as soon as you meet you. Yeah, as soon as I met you, that's the one thing that really stands out. And I think one thing I think is amazing as well is the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group. And now it's over 800 members. We just right? hit 900 this week. Oh my gosh, 900. 900, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. How, how did you do it? How well, do you get 900 see, people? <laughs> there again, it's just, I'm, I'm really selfish. I just say, what do I need? <laughs> yeah. And I was going to these great American Holistic Medical Association board meetings and I would, and I would come back home like a balloon just filled up because they were just the 14 of us were so on sync and it was like finding your tribe. Yeah. And then I'd get back home and I got along great with my colleagues, but they weren't my tribe. We did, they didn't think in the same holistic way I did. And um, Diane said, I, I know a couple of holistic nurses up in the Twin Cities and a physical therapist, someone knew a physical. So about 10 of us got together in St. Paul on a Saturday morning in 1989. And, uh, and we just went, I said, let's go around the room and say what you do, or who you are, and who you are, what you do, and something in your practice that's exciting you. Yeah. And so we did that. And then at the end of the meeting, they wanted to meet every month. I said, I can't drive up here every month. And it had to be on a Saturday morning. I didn't want to come up every month. So we said, let's do it three or four times a year. And here we are 30 years later, still meeting three or four times a year on a Saturday morning, oh basically. <laughs> and because I had to drive, you know, that's why it happened. It's the only time I really could come out. And Diana and I would come together because she was a holistic nurse. And and so there were basically, you know, I don't know, 12 or 15 or 18 of us at first meeting. And, and then every time at the end of the meeting, I'd go, okay, let's see. Amy, you talked about you that you're really interested in Reiki. And I don't know anything about Reiki. So would you talk for 20 or 30 minutes about that next meeting? And I would get to it. So we'd, we'd, the first hour of the meeting, we'd go around the room and say who we are and what we did and what excited us in our practice. And then the last two hours was maybe three people talking that I'd asked to talk about something that I didn't know about. You know, oh, someone else said, well, I like the Enneagram. I go, what's the Enneagram? So then the next time they would talk about the Enneagram. So it was a huge learning uh, yeah. from our colleagues about all this different stuff. Oh, you know, gosh. emotional freedom technique. It just all, you know, this was in the very early days of that. Yeah. And so that's all the meeting started. And that was my favorite part was going around the room saying who you are, what you do, and something that's exciting you in your practice. But then 10 years ago, it just got too big. You know, it's like there were 80 or 90 at a meeting and it's like we were trying to go around and, <laughs> and then, we, then we just had a microphone that for half an hour, 45 minutes, we would do that. So we still do that someday. Yeah, well, that's, it's the most interesting mix of people. And that's, I love that it's interdisciplinary, first of all. And like, with no limits. I mean, it's really, everybody's invited um, in that space, Everybody right? in the healthcare field. Is, yeah. yeah. So, it's just, so anyway, that gone, went, you know, and people just kept hearing about it and coming in. Yeah. Well, then when I retired and moved up to Minneapolis, I had more time. So anybody who wanted to join, I would ask them to write me a bio because I just wanted to learn who they were. Yeah. And, uh, and then sometimes I would take them to lunch. Sometimes I didn't. It just, I'd be not enough time, but and uh, and so then gradually, it just, you know, it went from 20 of us to 40 to 100 to, you know, gra I just, 
now, yeah, I just, like say, I just hit 900. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So it's, and it is, it's one of the most amazing groups and I always enjoy the meetings. And I know you guys just wrapped up a two day meeting. Yeah, that one was unusual. It was instead of a Saturday morning, it was two days. So yeah. that was, it was fabulous. Oh, that's, I always look forward to the meeting. Yeah. So I do have to kind of start wrapping up and I think, there's so many questions I would love to ask you, but I think one of the last questions I'd love to ask is if you could give one piece of advice to young people interested in going into integrative medicine, what would it be? What comes to mind is to uh, follow your passion. And uh, I forget that Howard, Howard uh, Thurman said it. And he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. I love and and I so it's it's what makes you come alive what you know that's why I always feel I I feel embarrassed that I get a lot of accolades for stuff I've done because it's been totally selfish I, it's always <laughs> like what do I me 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 you know what do I what do I need now oh I want to start I think I want to start a clinic for the underserved because I don't like poor people not getting that stuff so yeah. I mean there's some generosity but it mainly is what I need I can't stand and not to have people not getting adequate medical care because they can't afford it. And so it's what I need. I need that, or I need this, or I need, you know, so I need my support group. So I start the Minnesota Holistic Medicine Group. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, uh, and so that's why when I saw Howard Thurman's thing, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and do that. Cause that's what the world needs is people who's come alive. Oh, you know, that's I mean? awesome. isn't it? I love that. And you are one of those people who's come alive. And I think you've impacted so many people's lives with your work. And even though you say it's for selfish reasons, I think there's a lot of giving there too. Well, thank you. Yeah. It turned out to be great. Very lucky it feels like. And and it's really fun because we do have this incredible, large, thriving, holistic community in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Like I say, the number of functional medicine practitioners now is it's just expanding. I can't keep up. I go in every couple of months and look, and it's it's another 10 of them. Yeah, that's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We have, I think we're just so lucky in Minnesota that we do have a lot of people really in a progressive space. Yeah, yeah. and functional medicine is the outpatient medicine of the future. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, uh, it's basically slow medicine, and it's, yeah, I recommend for all your listeners to uh, get Victoria's Sweet book, and I think they'll really like the book Slow Medicine. She writes it like a novel almost. It's easy to read. It's not long. Basically, it's functional medicine. It's going upstream and looking, why did your body and its wisdom cause these problems? And it's not just about fixing. It's about going deeper and saying, who are you and why did you do this? Yeah. When I talk to the medical students, I've for about 20 years, I wouldn't have been real excited to go into medicine, and yeah. now I am excited. Because I think it's really, one, people are wanting to not just take a pharmaceutical. They want to go deeper and say, well, why is this happening? How can I work on it and get rid of it? And, and two, it's just uh, the whole idea of slow medicine of like, oh, acute care Western conventional medicine is wonderful. And it's really different from outpatient chronic disease care medicine. Yeah. And so let's tr- approach those really differently and get different practitioners and and I, that's where I think health coaches will be so important that everybody's going to have a health coach as the person they go to, to who's just more informed about helping them figure out what path do I take. And sometimes that'd be go to the ER. 
Yeah. But that would be about most people know to go to the ER, you know, and most of the time it would be, oh, I think you would really benefit by seeing a Chinese medicine practitioner or doing homeopathy or, or let's sit down. I'm good on diet as a health coach and let's go over your nutrition. Mm-hmm. You know, you're eating a really inflammatory diet. And my guess is your acne will go away when you go to an anti-inflammatory diet. You know, and you don't need to see a dermatologist. And uh, I think it's a really exciting time. Thank you so much for listening to Nourish and Shine. I hope that you enjoy this episode and that you'll leave me a review on iTunes so that more people can hear the podcast. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your questions, so please send them my way. Also, you can check out my website. It's amysapola.com. I hope that today's interview provided you with some inspiration and practical advice to nourish your mind, body, and spirit, optimize your health, and to live a whole vibrant life. Please join me again next week for another amazing interview. Have a wonderful week. The information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only. It's not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or condition. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your medical provider.